this is a business that requires that you go out there and you walk the property, you walk the neighborhood, and you walk it as if you're a 32-year-old millennial with a $60,000, a year job, and you're here to rent an apartment. What are your choices? You are listening to the AFIRE podcast. Real estate, technology, cross-border investing, and the opportunities of a changing world. Let's start a conversation now. You know, it's always fascinated me that um, quite often in real estate, the most humble assets can be as profitable as they are overlooked. You know, whole empires have been built on trailer parks or, you know, or warehouses, as much as the glamorous high-rise towers that we all associate with success in real estate. But the most successful investors go beyond the glamour to find the actual gold that lies in humility. So for example, consider the lowly US garden apartment. Now this sector has outperformed every other asset class except maybe industrial in 2021. And yet it's a garden apartment. Now to help understand why that is the case and how institutional investors might want to approach garden apartments in the future, uh, on this day, in mid-July of 2022, I am so fortunate to once again have Martha Payton, the Managing Director of Real Assets and Applied Research at Aegon Asset Management and frequent contributor to AFIRE to explain what this sector is all about. So thank you, Martha, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Well, thank you, uh, Gunnar, for the invitation. It is um, always uh, a delight. So Garden Apartments. Now, you wrote an article uh, for the Summer A-Fire Summit uh, that was titled Garden View. I mean, that always sounds so much better than, than actuality, but, but about this sector. And so let's start. How is the sector doing? What is the performance? Why is it doing as well as it's doing? Okay, well, first, I want to go back to your intro and absolutely validate that the garden apartment segment of the apartment sector has not historically been a sexy area for investment. Um, investors, uh, when they venture into the apartment sector, they have much preferred high-rise apartments, wonderful pictures of urban high-rise apartment investors, uh, investments uh, to dazzle their boards. Uh, garden apartments just don't create that same sort of wow factor. But garden apartment segment of NACRIF has produced in more dazzling returns. For the four quarters uh, ending in March, overall, NACRIF total return was just a little under 22%. Fabulous number. The apartment sector separately, 24%. An even more fabulous number. Now, 
pales in comparison to the industrial sector with 52% total return. But um, industrial property, that's another podcast and another conversation. So within the apartment sector, we've got three subsectors. We've got high-rise apartments, and that's over 10 stories, and uh, total return, 19.5%. We've got low-rise apartments, which are single buildings, under 10 units, 25%. And we've got garden apartments, which everybody is familiar with. They're projects of multiple buildings, usually three and four stories, total return 33%. Fabulous. Wow. So at 33%, it's really leading the entire multifamily segment at this point. Absolutely. Leading multifamily. Now, I want to add a little bit about the impact of the COVID recession on returns. Okay. Now, the COVID recession in 2020, was there an impact on commercial real estate? Yes, absolutely. NACRIF total return, 1.6% for calendar 2020. Apartments beat it at 1.8%, and garden apartments once again led with a 5% total return, beating low rise at 3% and beating high rise, which was barely positive. So not only are garden apartments producing rip-roaring returns in recent quarters, but they were also um, less vulnerable to the impact of the COVID recession than commercial property overall, than apartments overall. Wow. Well, you have to ask then the obvious, why is garden apart? Why, why isn't every institutional investor in a garden apartment strategy? I know some are, and it's growing. And certainly, you know, these, if, if Nacreef is publishing them, we're all seeing this kind of data. But what's keeping this from being the favored uh, form of multifamily? Well, actually, in the last couple of quarters, institutional investors have been noticing. Because when we look at the number of properties in the high-rise category reported to NACRIF versus in the garden category, reported to NACRIF, we are seeing some movement, some reallocation. So for instance, if we look at uh, high-rise apartments, the data that we reported uh, in our summit article, which was uh, taken at uh, September 2021 versus the end of March 2022, the number of high-rise apartments reported to NACRIF increased by 4%. The number of garden apartments reported to NACRIF increased by 8.5%, more than double. 
Now, the sheer absolute number of garden apartment projects is still way smaller than the absolute number of high-rise projects. There's uh, 788 as of March garden apartment projects and 1,106 high-rise projects. So we're not seeing massive flight from high-rise to garden apartments, but we're definitely seeing interest in garden apartments increase. Why not more? Well, when institutional investors underwrite property investments, in particular when they underwrite apartment investments, they pay a lot of attention to the age of properties. Um, apartment investments, I mean, this is where people live. There's both the wear and tear of tenants, of tenants with children, of, um, you, you know, tenants overloading apartments because they've got a lot of kids or a lot of relatives or a lot of whatever. Um, so there's the question of um, uh, the wear and tear, which is both related to the age of apartments and to the capex expense that's necessary both to keep apartments in good operating shape, those operating expenses, but also to replace and refurbish what wears out. Now, when you look at the distribution of the stock of apartments, what you find is that the majority of garden apartments were built prior to the year 2000. Anybody who owns a home knows that when your appliances and your heating system get to 20 years old, you're looking at the need to replace them. Well, same thing happens with apartments. So not only are the majority at least 20 years old, but an enormous proportion of garden apartments are even older than that. You know, built in the heyday of the 1970s, 1980s. So looking simply at the age of garden apartments, asking the question, have these been renovated? Have they been updated? Have the mechanicals been replaced? What investors find is that the bulk of them have not been renovated. The bulk of them are going to require material replacement investments, and that introduces risk. Uh, hiring contractors, uh, timing of the work so that you don't interrupt your cash flow. Uh, materials accessibility now is also a big issue. So when you compare an investment that requires that kind of capex, that kind of attention 
to a brand new high-rise apartment where everything is out of the box brand new, you can tend to say, I'm going to go with the high-rise. That seems like a better bet. After the um, Great Recession, after 2008, we started hearing tremendous amounts of information and analysis about millennials. The world was all about millennials. In the early years after the great financial crisis, there was a lot of interest in millennial preferences for big cities, for downtowns, for edgy neighborhoods. And as a result of that, um, we had a beginning um, in 2009, 2010, we had a surge of uh, NACRIF investments in high-rise apartments. And again, driven by not only the behavior of millennials moving to studio apartments, one-bedroom apartments in downtowns, but also to all the hype around this millennially-driven economy. Well, as the years progressed, we started to see that there were limits to how many high-rise apartments in central cities, how many were going to be absorbed. And we started seeing vacancy rates creep up. And we started to realize, oh my God, we've got affordability problems. And that then led to a lot of analysis that looked at affordability of not only the millennial cohort, but of all renters in general. And even though the data has been there forever and the affordability issues have been there forever, they started to accelerate as this enormous millennial cohort moved into the workforce and found that they really couldn't afford those brand new, lovely studio apartments in central cities. So that's where we find ourselves now in a time when investors certainly are looking for affordable housing investing to make, and it's hard to find. And it seems like the garden style apartment is that candidate, I guess, for the affordable housing investment, and perhaps one that can be done at scale given the size of that market at this point. Well, I think that's absolutely right, but it's a conclusion that has to be very nuanced. When we read about affordable rental housing, we've got to understand that there are layers of affordability issues. And 
Garden apartments, as reported in the Nagriff Index, are a slice of the apartment universe that is relatively small. And it is a slice that relies upon an income segment that is also contained. So what we find is that garden apartments um, that charge market interest with no subsidies, no um, subsidies on the lending side, no subsidies in taxes, pure market rate garden apartments. What we found is, in general, you need to start looking at the income cohort that is a little above each metro area's median income, say about 60% of median income, but in some very expensive metro areas, it may even be as high as 80% of the median and goes up to about 120% of the median, beyond which uh, renters have enough income to have more choices, to be able to afford a higher quality, more amenitized, newer units. So investors have to realize the size of the pond that they're fishing in and the characteristics that make that particular segment attractive. So what makes it attractive? Well, what makes it attractive is you have bandwidth to make capital X improvements that will lengthen the useful productive life of these properties. That is in the interest of investors. It's in the interest of tenants. It is in the interest of the entire operation of the housing market, right? To not let this segment of stock deteriorate away. So this segment offers institutional investors an opportunity to restore that durability with CapEx and to make modest improvements in individual units to make them more attractive to tenants. When you do this, you can increase rents modestly. You get a step up in rents. It doesn't mean you've made them unaffordable to that segment of renter population. It means you've moved it up a little higher. You've got to pay really close attention to not overshooting. 
And that's harder than it sounds because we're real estate people and we love to make things beautiful and we love stone countertops and wood floors and all that great stuff. Well, you got to hold yourself back because if you overshoot that income cohort, then you are competing with newer, higher quality properties. You're in a whole different competitive marketplace. Just to kind of finish out uh, this discussion, I'd love to get you know a very brief idea of where are we going with this? When you think 10 years, 20 years out for uh, garden apartments, what do you see happening? Well, um, the answer goes back to demographics. Millennials are now almost fully matured into the labor force, right? They were like, you know, the elephant and the python, you know, a big cohort that uh, came into uh, maturity uh, as we got to uh, um, the uh, Great Financial Recession, that is drawing to close, and they are now being followed by Gen Z. Gen Z was born in the latter part of the 1990s. Uh, first wave is just graduating from college, just beginning to get into the labor force. We know how many there are because they're there now. They're just maturing year by year by year. The Gen Z cohort is smaller than the millennial cohort. As Gen Z takes over center stage, some of that demand for entry-level, more affordable market rate apartments some of it will ease up. More importantly, we are seeing strong construction of um, new apartments. Now, construction is always focused on uh, the highest price points, the highest rent, the highest quality, the best location. New construction is less affordable than older properties. So what happens is, again, going back to this notion of layers in the market. So when new apartments are constructed, most of them are high rises because high rises make the most intense use of land, which is very expensive, has grown much more expensive, and it is the most efficient form of construction because of its density. So you're going to add uh, sequentially every year more and more top quality A expensive apartments. Now, as they get absorbed, it then repositions all of the older 
lower quality, less amenitized apartments below them. It's a concept that, that sociologists call filtering. So what happens is as you go down that spectrum of rent and quality, the bottom of that spectrum, you then start to see rent changes to make this affordable to lower and lower income cohorts. So we've got a surge in new construction that's going to add to the top of the layer cake, and it will then push units down, and they will become, as you get closer and closer to this middle income segment, they'll become more affordable. So this incredible return that we're seeing for garden apartments, it's not likely to be a forever thing. But if you look out over the near term, the medium term, this quality of apartments is so tight in so many markets that you've got quite a ways to go before enough slack is introduced to take away um, your investment benefits. So the key though is to really understand this segment, you've got to look at all different kinds of data. So NACRIP gives us data on garden apartments. CoStar gives us data on the quality of apartments. And these apartments are usually medium quality. So CoStar calls them three-star. When you look at vacancy rates across metro areas, submarkets with three-star quality apartments, they are really, really tight. So the attractiveness is going to be here this year, next year, uh, despite what's happening uh, with the overall economy. Um, and uh, I think that the reason I quoted you what happened to returns during the 2020 recession is to show that this segment is less vulnerable to recession than uh, other segments of the apartment market. So the precarious macroeconomic situation we're in now should make interest in this segment of the market even stronger than it otherwise would be. Fascinating. As usual, when I sit down with you, Martha, you've, you've, you've expanded my view in terms of how this looks with a lot of nuance, a lot of interesting things to take a look at. It seems to me the advice to everyone should be to focus clearly on this sector and understand it as well as you can and look at all of the data. So I, I'm sorry, we've run out of time. Uh, we, we, have to, we have to close, but, but thank you so much, Martha. Uh, Martha Payton, she's the Managing Director of Real Assets and Applied Research at Aegon Asset Management. Be sure to read her article in the summer issue of AFIRE Summit. Uh, there's lots of data in there as well and beautiful charts that will give you a, a really clear picture of what is going on at this point. And I look forward to your next piece, Martha, and your next insight. Thank you for joining us on the AFIRE Podcast. Thank you, Gunnar. 
You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast subscription service, such as Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitchers, and others. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice. No content in this podcast is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included has been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed are those of its respective contributors and sources and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE.